At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. I want to begin by uh, taking you on a little bit of a journey. A few years ago, Billboard magazine released their top 50 love songs of all time. (laughs) Yep, those top 50 songs that had the word love in the title. So their rankings were taken from something that they called the Hot 100, and they did that over a seven-decade period. You guys have any guesses of what's that at the top? All right, well, I'll help you. Here we go. What started in 1958 with the song called, To Know Him Is To Love Him. Any fans of that song? All right, there you go. 1958, there you go. A group called the Teddy Bears. That's a bit concerning, but that's, other, that's another story. What started in 1958 flows all the way through today's music styles, and there's a list of groups from each decade as you travel from that time period. You get the Everly Brothers and the Beatles. You get Tina Turner and Huey Lewis in the News, Mariah Carey and Taylor Swift. You put all those together, and what you get is you come up with a a list. And at the top of that list is a classic love song called Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. It's a little sappy. I thought about playing it for you this morning, and then we decided against it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You see, this superstar duet saying about a love that was romantic. They sang about their romantic relationship. And the reality is when we're talking about love in our culture, that is the type of love that is written about. That's the type of love that is often heard on the radio. That's the type of love that is mentioned over and over and over again in our society today. Romantic love. It's almost idolized in our culture today, if we are honest. But the question is, is that the kind of love that you and I need? Is that the kind of love that meets the deepest longings of our soul? I would question that. I would question that because what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that challenges that very narrative, that it's more than just romantic love that men, women, and children need. Now, before we turn to that portion of Scripture, let's pray together. Gracious God, loving God, We come to you today to offer our praises to you. It has been a wild week and a different week in our culture and in our society, and we are here to proclaim that you're above it all. We are here today to proclaim your truth in song, and as we open your word, we acknowledge that it is truth. And we stand upon this truth today. But God, we need to hear from you today. 
That's why we're going to open your word because we need to hear this truth today. So give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see this truth. And then God, we ask for humble, genuine hearts before you that we might live out this truth in significant and practical ways in the week ahead. And so we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, White Lake family, we kicked off our new year by looking at the concept of love, as you've heard us talk about each of these past few weeks. The series is called The Forgotten Virtue. And our text that we've been looking at is the first letter that the Apostle John wrote. They're all you're going to find all three of his letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, all near the end of the New Testament. So I want to go ahead and encourage you to grab your Bible, and we're going to be looking at 1 John uh, chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, specifically verses 7 through 12. It's not a massively long passage today, but I think you'll understand why it is, in fact, so very significant. If you're following along in your own ESV, you're going to find that on page 1,023. Here are the words of the Apostle John. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And it's in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. See, throughout that letter, not just the portion that we read, but throughout his first letter, John often uses warm, endearing terms of the people whom he's writing to. He will often talk about them as little children. Some translations have dear children. Throughout the text, it says children. What we believe to be true about that is that he is writing to a group of people who he has this kind of relational connection. It's a group of people that he knows, and he knows that they know the gospel, they know the truth, and so he writes to them as beloved And it is from this close relationship, this close connection, that John wants those that he cared about to affirm an authentic Christian faith, one that is rooted in the truth of the gospel. We looked at it a couple weeks ago as we began the series. He was writing against something called docetism and to a lesser degree Gnosticism. And so he's communicating clearly, this is what I want you to know. And so what we find in our text is John making abundantly clear the humanness of Jesus, the humanness of Jesus, and a clear expression of the selfless love that God has revealed to His people. 
So there's the humanness of Jesus and then this selfless love. You see, the act of God sending His one and only Son into the world to redeem you and me, sinners like you and me. That is the pinnacle of love. That is the absolute pinnacle of love. You see, John wants believers to know that this was such a beautiful and powerful picture. It's such a beautiful act that what we see is actually the character of God. It's the character of God. And because love is at the center of that act, the apostle declares that love actually personifies God. So I want you to have this in mind. You might say this is the big idea of today's passage. God is love. God is love. You see, it's because that God is the ultimate source of love that this reality should impact the way you live and the way I live when we walk out the doors of this particular building. It should impact us. It should change us. We should be different. It should influence every single person here, every single person watching on Facebook. Love should change us. So let's dig a little bit deeper. As we dig in today's text, I want you to know that we're going to find three specific truths about God being our ultimate source of love. And it's in these truths, as Eric mentioned a moment ago, we are going to see that all three members of the Godhead, all three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are going to help us understand and live out what it means to love. So the first truth we come across is that love begins with the Father. Love begins with the Father. Let's look back at verses 7 and 8 for just a moment to see what I mean. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, John has mentioned the subject of love in multiple passages throughout this letter, in chapter 2, multiple times in chapter 3, but it is in these two verses that he gives us this in-depth explanation of the subject. He wants you and I to have a deeper understanding of where love actually finds its beginning, where love finds its foundation. And so I want to unpack two, ver- two uh, phrases from this portion of today's text. Just verses 7 and 8, they're not main points, but they're two words that I think are important for us to grab a hold of today. The first one is beloved. Beloved. John begins using this term in our text today, and when he does, he's indicating that these are people who are in Christ. These are people who have been born again, because it is in Christ that we have fellowship with a holy God. You see, John emphasizes that by God's grace, through the salvation that we have in Christ, believers then are empowered to love. We're empowered through the Spirit of God that dwells within every believer. Those who are in Christ, those are the beloved. 
And he establishes right here in our text, he says love is the distinctive mark of the believer. Love is the distinctive mark of the believer. Now, what's also true is the exact opposite. You say, well, what do you mean? When love is not present, that means that there is a lack of a knowledge of God, a lack of faith in His Son. That's always the root cause of a lack of love. One theologian, a guy by the name of Simon Kistemacher, explains it this way. He says, without knowledge of God, there is no love. Love and knowledge of God are two sides of the exact same coin. So as such, John is declaring to you and me that love is the foundational posture of the heart of the believer. If you were in Christ, that's the heart posture that you have, that God has given to you, that God has provided for you in His Son. Because as you were in Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit. And in that Holy Spirit, you have the divine nature of God that He's given to you to live out His love. It's the distinct mark of the believer. Now, the second word, or the second phrase, if you will, that stands out from verses 7 and 8 is our big idea that God is love. Now, what's important for us to know is that the apostle is not simply making a statement about the quality that God possesses. It's not like he owns this. What's important for us to know is that God both loves his people and his creation with perfect love. Love radiates from Him because God is love. But this isn't really new information, is it? I mean, really, this is not new information to you. You'd say, I understand that. I'm, I'm in church. I've been coming here a while. I've been maybe raised in the church, and from the moment I opened up that children's Bible, that's what I saw. I saw that God is love. Christian parents, that's what we teach to our kids, isn't it? That's what we teach to our children, isn't it? That God is love. And as kids participate in our, in our kids' ministry, move up to our student ministries, move into adult church, we continue to communicate that reality, that God is love. But it's hard sometimes, isn't it? I mean, really, it can be difficult as we grow and we experience more of life in a fallen world. This teaching sometimes comes into question, doesn't it? I mean, really, we, we wonder sometimes, is God love, really? What's happening is that we get twisted around. We oftentimes spin it around and kind of turn the narrative a bit because the truth is that God is not an inner, God is love, that's not an interchangeable phrase. We can't switch those words around and say, well, love is God. That's not necessarily true. Here's a current example for us. Not sure if you guys are aware of this, but this past week we got a new president. 
Hope you guys caught that. New president was sworn into office. Now, I want you to know, as I stand on this stage, I have no interest in getting into the political dynamics of that because I know right here in our room, there's some that are really excited about that, and I know that there are some that are really disappointed and frustrated in that. I'm not interested in talking about that. The reason that I bring this up is because of the terminology that's often used about the office. Oftentimes, what we will see, we will see President Biden or President Trump. There's a title that is connected to an individual. And then other times, they'll speak of just the role. They'll say, Mr. President, POTUS, Commander-in-Chief. Other times, you'll hear something that will say, the White House said... The Oval Office communicated. These are the ways that we communicate certain things that are tied to an individual. The reality is we do have a president. He has a name. But oftentimes it is wrapped in the role and the significance of the role. But none of these titles, none of these acronyms fully represent the person who serves in the office. It's sort of a shadowy way to communicate what's happening. Now, the reason I bring that up is because in our text today, the Apostle John does the exact opposite. He leaves no question. He says, God is love. There's nothing political about that. There's no terms that are interchangeable. God is love, but again, love is not necessarily God. Now remember, this is why one of those spaces where context is very important. Remember, he is writing this letter to a group of people who have turned away from this theological error that they see happening in their culture. And yet in this moment, John feels compelled. They've already turned away from the error, and he feels compelled to challenge them and to communicate the importance of love. I think that is great wisdom for us today right here in our country and right here in our church. I can't think of a more significant and important reality for you and I as believers to live. So we are called to heed the words of the apostle because God is love. Now, let's continue on in our text. Let's pick it up in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And it's in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, this provides us the second truth today and how the second member of the Trinity helps believers like you and I to experience genuine love. Love is personified in the Son. Love is personified in the Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. You see, the Son of God, Jesus, is the visible representation of God's love for all, the visible representation of God's love for His people. 
The Father sent the Son into the world. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Not just to give gifts, because God gave the most amazing gift. He sent His Son into the world. But when He did, He did so to redeem a sinful people who would turn their backs on God. Furthermore, John highlights the truth that Jesus is God's only Son. I highlight this and John highlights this because it is a unique position that Jesus held among all other beings. Jesus, the Son of God, is a one of a kind. There's none like Him. He is the Christ. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear that God is intentionally sending His Son on a mission of redemption. That's why He sent Him. He didn't just come to start a religion. He came on a mission of redemption. And so when John expresses this sending, he reveals the magnitude of God's selfless, sacrificial love for those whom He created. That's an act of sacrificial love. I love the way author Ben Witherington breaks it down. He says this, he says, to say God is love is to say that God is the most self-sacrificing being in the universe. And as such, he was prepared to go to incredible lengths to make humankind right. You see, this had to take place. This had to take place because sin had created this uncrossable chasm from a holy and righteous God to sinners like you and like me. There's this massive chasm and an atoning sacrifice needed to be paid for the penalty of our sin to bridge that gap. Throughout his epistles, the apostle Paul explained our need. Here's just a couple. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Romans 5, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. You see, Jesus was sent by the Father to sacrifice His life so that sinners like you and like me might have life, so that we might live. Now, many of us know this truth, but in a room this size with many people, I'm sure there's many who don't. So when you look at a passage like this, There's really only one way for us to apply the portion of text that we're just looking at from 1 John, and that is for you and I to respond to the call of the gospel in our own heart and in our own mind. So I want to walk you through the basic steps. It begins when we admit that we have sinned, that we are a sinner and that we need atonement. We need forgiveness. We do this when we acknowledge that distance that I mentioned a moment ago between a holy God and a sinful heart. That's where it begins. And then we recognize that God has provided for our forgiveness by sending His one and only Son to pay the penalty that I could not and to pay the penalty that you could not. 
That's how Jesus became our atonement. And then we acknowledge that Jesus gives you and I a way to cross that bridge. Jesus is the one who gives us a way that we might have life through His perfect life, sacrificed on the cross, and we then can experience that life. All who believe. And so that leads us to our role. God desires that you and I would respond that we would respond to these truths, that they're not just truths that we would agree to intellectually, but they're truths that we would believe in our head and in our heart. We respond by taking a 180-degree turn. When we're walking this way in sin, we turn and go the other direction in repentance and faith. When we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and we place our faith in Him, in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection, we are made new. If that's you today, you should say amen. If that's you today, if you are born of God, as John writes in verse 7, this is something to celebrate. Now, if you want to live out this text, if you're here today and you're wondering if this, how you can put this text into action, that's how you do it. You place your faith in Christ. You respond to the reality of a Savior who died for you. And you do so with repentance and faith. So, church family, we've seen that love begins with the Father. Love is personified in Christ the Son. This brings us to the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who helps believers experience genuine love. So, now let's look back at our text, those final two verses, verses 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, there's that word again, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. I love this because similar to that of a trial lawyer, John is sort of wrapping it up with this kind of strong closing argument because of God's great love for those he would call followers. We are then called to love one another. This is sort of the culmination of all that's communicated here on this topic. God's love is both the reason that we should love others and the resource for us to love others. He's both the reason and the resource. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells, as we see in this text, within the believer, through faith in the Son, believers are empowered. You and I are empowered to love. This helps us see the third truth today. Love is perfected through the Spirit. Love is perfected through the Holy Spirit. This is why the context of what John is writing is so important. In the face of Gnostic and Docetic heresy, John calls the believers to a faith that reveals itself in loving action. It's not just an abstract idea. It is real. It has flesh to it. 
God, who is love, dwells within the Holy Spirit. Therefore, God's love should flow from us to others. You see, through our faithful love, God's love becomes evident. When we love well, empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's love becomes evident to the watching world. This is at the heart of Jesus. This is not just some idea that John came up with. This is at the very heart of Jesus. This is why in John's gospel, Jesus is quoted as saying this, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And here's the catch. Here's the significance. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let's get practical for a moment. Anyone who walks in the door of this church should experience that. If you are new here today, my hope is that that's what you're experiencing from the people around you, from the people who greeted you, from Eric and the team, from myself. It is my hope that you have experienced that when you walked in here. For those of you who are participating in a life group here at Woodside, that's my hope that you would be experiencing that in the context of your faith community. It should be visible. It should be tangible. When believers get together, we should experience this kind of selfless, sacrificial love. So let me ask you a question. Is that what others, when they see, when they come here, is that what they see? If we were to drop drop in at your house, you know, just give you that knock on the door and walk in and just kind of hang out for a while. Is that what we would experience in your home? Is that what your children see when you interact with each other? The love of God expressed in your life. Church, three times in our text today, the Apostle Paul exhorts believers to love one another. Why do you think this is so important? Author James Montgomery Boyce, I think, answers that question best. Here's what he says. He said, God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Spirit is love. Therefore, if we know the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will love. It's difficult to see how the matter could be made simpler than this. So, believer, let's love. Let's love because our God is love. Because our God modeled love. And because our God has empowered you and me to practice love. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.